Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com. Looking ahead to Arsenal versus Chelsea at Emirates Stadium on Sunday. Not sure I can say I'm looking forward to this one, but perhaps we'll go into that in a minute with our guest. But before uh, we talk about that, that game, which is exactly what this podcast is going to be about, I just wanted to take a second to thank everyone that voted for Arsblog um, and the Arscast at the uh, Football Supporters Association Awards uh, on Monday evening. We beat some very stiff competition to win Club Podcast of the Year. So if you're a listener, I think we can all agree that the Arsenal Women Arscast did the heavy lifting um, for that particular award. But um, when we went on stage, they did actually ask us a question um, about the kind of the the women's podcast and the women's coverage. So I do think it was a big factor in us winning the award. So thanks so much to all of our listeners, whether you voted or whether you didn't, if you did, thanks so much. And um, yeah, really thank you for that. Um, And we've got some plans for the podcast next year, which hopefully will see us move to a kind of more regular and more predictable schedule because it's it's a bit all over the place at the moment, a bit random, and I want to bring it in line a little bit. But that's all a question for next year. The immediate question is about Arsenal versus Chelsea in the WSL on Sunday and a game I'm absolutely dreading. And joining me to look ahead to that game is Counterpressed and the Athletics and Flying Geeses. And I don't, I don't know how useful it is to plug the London is Blue podcast here because I'm not sure we have a big crossover audience, but delighted to be joined by Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jesse, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I might be your only crossover audience. I am a big <laughs> listener of this podcast, but yeah, it might just be me, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had. I, I think I've told this um, at a live show once. I had a really funny um, kind of uh, incident, not incident, but that's overplaying it. But before the Conti Cup final last year, I, I did like a little thing for Sky Sports News and they didn't tell me, I mean, it's fine, but they didn't tell me there was going to be a Chelsea fan as well. So we did a little thing pitch side and I kind of roll up um, and there's the Chelsea fan there and she looks at me and she goes, oh, I blocked you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's fine. Don't worry. You're, you're, you're not like, you're not an audience we think we're going to get. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I respect um, her admitting that off the bat. I think I'd have kept that secret. Maybe I have uh, blocked you on Twitter, Tim. You wouldn't know. I guess you can check. Um, but before we go into the game um, and looking ahead to it because I'll I'll be honest I've described it this week as a bit like the sun this game like I know it's there and I know it needs to be there but I feel like if I look at it I might get a headache or go blind or something Um, so before we kind of go into the detail of the game on Sunday I wanted to ask you a question actually about counter press which I think we do have some crossover audience there. I know a lot of our listeners, big fans. I'm certainly a big fan of the show as well. And 
I guess wh- why don't I tell you what I think the show has like achieved in a space it stepped into, and you can tell me whether that was deliberate or not. But I feel like women's football. There were podcasts a bit like it, um, I think, but I think women's football was really missing something in the podcast space, which was, you know analytical and it's got like former players on it well no sorry a current player and a former player um i don't i don't want to um wish kate longhurst into (laughs) retirement because she's at charlton um but but also just that sense of like friends talking and for want of a better word kind of bantering as well and and getting into some of that culture around women's football like it really feels like it feels like there are a lot of panel shows with journalists and things like that and that's you know that that that's good but for me this feels like the first big women's podcast that really has a sense of like friends talking and analyzing but joking and you know just having that stuff that, that like there are a million men's football podcasts like that but this really feels like the first big women's football podcast that's like this was that what you were going for with counterpressed i think it was always sort of a natural thing in terms of when Flo approached me and Becky about doing it because obviously we were already friends which helps I think what we've been really lucky with is how fantastic and fun Kate and Julie are and how willing they've been to get on board with us being silly and stupid and (laughs) then becoming our friends basically because I think that's the thing when you do stuff with players you never really know like whether you're going to, you know, they're, they're still just people I, I didn't know before we started doing this. And it, you, you don't know how willing those people are going to be to sort of move past it being like a professional thing where you turn up and do a pod. Um, and both of them are great. So I think that that's allowed it to keep that tone while still having like their insight, which I think is like really valuable. And I guess also it, it's interesting you talk about it like that. And I read your your Substack this week talking about sort of that like fan to journalist journey mm. in terms of, I guess I obviously got involved in stuff a lot later than you, uh, but I I thought for a while, and this might sound really funny now given that the personality I occupy in this space, but I thought for a while about how big I wanted to go on that I was a Chelsea fan mm. because lots of journalists in the women's game at least really don't do that it's much more common i think in the men's game because of sort of club specific media makes it a lot more acceptable to go and be like yes i'm a fan of this club and i cover this club as a journalist but everyone knows i'm still a fan whereas i think because of course the women's game there are it's a lot more pressure to be like i'm sort of neutral in inverted commas even though mm. there are a number of journalists who we we know what their their allegiances look like um, but I think as a result, that sort of pushed me at least to have to get get more involved in the fan stuff because it felt like that was the world I was like deciding to occupy. And I'm glad because the, yeah. the bits of journalism where maybe you're more neutral, I don't find super interesting all the time. So, yeah, I think it's like with Counterpressed, it's it's just sort of a, a combination of like our actual pa- personalities, um, you know, and like, you know what flows like that girl will just say whatever comes into her head and that's part of the fun you know yeah absolutely and I I think Kate in particular is like as a present player like not afraid to make kind of criticisms as well and observation because that's like I know Jilly um you know only just retired and obviously knows like everyone in the game because she's been there forever um and and as has Kate but like Kate's you know a current player 
and I think it's it's it would be very very easy for her to be a bit more vanilla, um, particularly when talking about things like England selection, and and I really don't think she does that, which you know which I think is massively to her credit, but but probably to the credit of the show as well to create that kind of environment where you know, she feels, I, I don't know if safe is the right word or if that's over-egging it, but like she feels like she can do that. Is Again, is that something you really considered like having like two players on, you know, what can we say particularly about current players when these two players, you know, will know them to, to some extent because it's a small world, right? Yeah, I do think, well, it's not a specific conversation I had. I don't know whether Flo talked about Kate and Chile separately, but I think that's certainly always... Uh, you know, they've always sort of been quite comfortable with that. Flo had worked with Kate and Jilly on different things before. So I think she knew when she sort of approached them that they were people who were going to be sort of more willing to have those kinds of conversations. And I guess the other thing is like, and maybe this sort of ties into the the natural personalities of everyone on the show is I think everyone's sort of happy to say something that's maybe not even controversial, but like sort of like put their opinion on the line. And I like to think that we always try and do that fairly. And I think mm. as a result, you then create an environment where everyone knows, like if you're going to talk about X player, you're not sitting there saying like, I want to slag this player off because I don't like them. Like it, it's football. You, you know, and this has been a big thing in women's football. Like sometimes you have to say people are playing shit or teams look like mm. shit. And I think there's been a, for a long time, people were like a bit more afraid of doing that. But I actually think if you do it more almost, like even though that seems a bit backward, but in an environment whereby then everyone has a conversation about it, those opinions actually feel like a lot more fair and a lot more interesting than maybe if you, you never did it at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, I, I think that's one of the things I've found so interesting about the show. I've talked about like how it feels different to other women's football shows, which is not to criticise those shows, but moving more into into that kind of space. And yeah, it, it does feel to me, um, forgive us listeners as if this is a slightly meta conversation, but like we are beginning to perhaps move more. And, and I think it's totally understandable. And like you said about allegiances and things like that that's so understandable because there are so few women's football journalists and they have to cover like the whole game um so you don't really get like uh this person does like arsenal and chelsea or this person does west ham and you know like you you don't really get that so people do have to be like all things to all people but i i think what your show is showing is that you can actually do that and obviously you, Becky, and Flo all have your different affiliations as well and things like that. And and that actually, yeah, like we're pushing more into a space. Again, I don't want to say healthier because I don't necessarily think it's been unhealthy, but do you know what I mean? Like just getting more towards that kind of, I guess, more human um, kind of level of coverage. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I guess also the point is, is with all of this stuff, what women's football media has been lacking for a long time is sort of investment. And and we're very lucky that Spotify have made that investment in us as people and the show. And the more investment you get from different areas is you get variety. And mm. no one would want the journalists who cover lots of stuff to like disappear. The point is you want to be able to have all of the different elements of it because I think that's what sort of makes fandom and fan culture enjoyable like you you need someone who's going to do the press conferences and source the transfer gossip and all of that kind of stuff 
And you also want someone who, or people who are going to talk to you in a way that you feel like you enjoy and makes you laugh, you know? And then equally, you want to do something that, you know, you and me both do, which is their more club-specific media stuff, because some people just want to hear about their clubs. And I think it's very interesting in women's football because club loyalties can be quite different to the way they are in men's football. I think, obviously, for a lot of people, they get into the women's game. And, for example, if they get into it through England, they're coming to it as a place where maybe they're, like, figuring out what club they want. And I think that's why maybe over time it's been harder to find exactly what really clicks within the women's football media landscape because, you know, for example, from a from a Chelsea perspective on London is Blue, I'm quite aware that like probably a big chunk of my audience is Chelsea men's fans who don't necessarily pay that much attention to the women's team and they might listen to us ahead of a big game. Like this is a great example. Like everyone will talk about this game. They're going to sort of tune in for one episode and they're going to have no idea what's happened so far. And that's very different from something like Counterpressed, whereby we're kind of assuming that these are the people who are sort of more watching the WSL week in, week out. But they might not even have like a really strong team affiliation within that. Or even if they do, it's probably quite new. Hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I definitely feel like even like all the years I've been doing this, it's it's felt like a trial and error um, in terms of content, like what works and what doesn't. And, you know, there are spaces that as a 39-year-old uh, white man, I can't hit and shouldn't try to hit and shouldn't try to serve. Um, and that that's why I'm like, I'm just really pleased something like Counterpressed has come along just because like, like, I know I can't really do that. Like, I, you know, I'm too old now. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and so it's like, yeah, you go on this kind of, you're trying to be all things to all people, but then more stuff pops up and you're like, ah, oh, okay, I, I don't have to, like, that's You're like, thank God I don't have to really <laughs> you to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. And uh, I have to say, I listened to that episode, and I'm not sure whether it made me want to read it or not. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking possibly not, um, so but enjoyed it. It's hours of your life you'll never get back to. <laughs> so, but I enjoyed the episode nonetheless. Uh, it certainly made me curious about the book, but... That's that's twelve minutes of prevarication, um, which uh, by which I mean not talking about the game on Sunday, which I think certainly emphasises where I am with it um, psychologically. And let let me set the scene for you, Jesse, about why I'm dreading this game so much, and you can tell me whether you agree or not. I mean, first of all, for me, I I think this kind of feels unfair from an Arsenal perspective because we had a bit of a slow start, which I completely anticipated and things have been going quite well ever since. But to me, it just feels like the pressure is so much more on Arsenal on Sunday because I think a defeat, that's why it kind of feels unfair because if Arsenal lose, I feel like it's very unlikely they can win the league. And to have that feeling two years in a row so early in the season where this time last year, Arsenal lost their two back best attackers to ACL injuries and you think, well, teams don't win the league when that happens. So for that to be kind of on the line again this early feels for me like I'm really dreading it. I also hate the fact that it's coming off the back of an international break because I've been really trying not to think about it <laughs> for the last 10 days, but I kind of can't avoid it. So in terms of, I guess, your emotional feeling about this game, where are you and 
do you agree that the pressure is so much more on Arsenal than Chelsea? Yeah, I do agree the pressure is much more on Arsenal. Although it's funny, I feel like my perspective on this has been totally warped because I went to the pub with Arsenal fans after the West Ham game (laughs) and they were all like, yeah, we're winning. And now I feel like they were just doing this as part of bravado. Well, maybe they genuinely think that. But I was like, oh, the Arsenal fans seem super chill about it. But this is why you shouldn't do unscientific polls like talking to five Arsenal fans over a pint because that's not a good litmus test of these things. Um, I think there's like two aspects to it for me. I think from a sort of um, taking a step back viewpoint from a Chelsea perspective, I totally agree with you. The pressure's all on Arsenal. I feel like we could lose this game and we'd still be in a pretty good position. I think it would be frustrating for us to have dropped our lead in inverted commas, but really I I wouldn't I I would feel like in a one-off game we probably wouldn't have done much wrong. And I generally think the Chelsea team's in a very good place right now, so I kind of feel like when you take that step back, you're like, okay, if things don't go well, over 90 minutes we'll have played our two biggest away games of the season already we'll drop five points as a result that would be rubbish but we'd still probably be top at Christmas um, which isn't a Mm. bad place to be in my more emotional element says I'm really nervous just because I don't want to lose to Arsenal (laughs) like so I think there's an extent where like whatever however you go into that game I, I do think there's still like Chelsea fans will feel nervous about it because I think the reality is what we've seen with this Arsenal team is that inflection points are really important in terms Mm. of how that G's up the team and how they perform as a result. And I think were Arsenal to win at like a potentially sold out Emirates over Chelsea, it, it could, it could like really impact the rest of the season, particularly because I think Chelsea have looked really good here, but we all know that every year Chelsea really care about winning the Champions League. And that's only become more true this year. But I think it would have been true regardless of the Emma Hayes news. So really, I'm like, yeah, you kind of expect Chelsea to go sort of through this period of the season. They're going to pick up points. But come March, if they're in the knockout stages of the Champions League, Hayes will just sort of like not be happy to throw games, but things if things aren't working out, like that will be it. You know, like I keep thinking back to the Man City game last season in between the two Lyon quarterfinals where we were like 2-0 down, we were playing fine and Hayes was just like, I'm hooking this player, I'm hooking this player. And I'm like, to me, that is a manager who's just like, I'm already thinking about the next game, like this is done, which is ridiculous because if we didn't have those Champions League games, you would say, oh, you would think, oh, we've not played that badly. We've conceded two really good goals and we're still in this game. But that for me, that just showed like how happy she is to like really put all her eggs in the Champions League basket. So I don't know whether that changes a little bit because she will probably want to win the WSL in her last year. But yeah, sorry, that's quite a rambly sort of way. I I, have, I think I'm just a bit like you. I've got so many sort yeah. of different thoughts and feelings about this game. <laughs> I've tried to like put them in one clear answer. And and that's the thing, like, because Arsenal, I think, potentially have an advantage in the second half of the season by not being in the Champions League. And they'll be playing once a week basically from you know get kind of get the Conti Cup out of the way wherever that goes there'll be no more midweek games essentially and and so I'm very desperate for Arsenal to still be in the picture at that point because because of the reasons you outline um I I think six points back would just be really really difficult particularly because we've got to go to Chelsea and Manchester City as well so you know that that kind of feels that's why it feels so outsized and I feel like 
Arsenal, if they lose this game, would be trading in their big advantage, which is the second half of the season, which is, again, like it just feels too early for me for Arsenal's season to be on the line, particularly because we don't have the Champions League as well. So realistically, like, yeah, of course, everyone will want to win the other domestic cups, maybe both of them, at least one of them. But like coming into New Year and thinking, well, we're not in the Champions League and we're very unlikely to win the league feels you know, feels wrong somehow. <laughs> but I, I wanted to, you reference there that Chelsea looked really good um, this season. You were there um, at the West Ham game and you heard Jonas Eideval say he thinks this is the best Chelsea have been since he arrived at the club. Do, do you agree with that? Um, and I guess like what's, I don't know if changed is the right word, but what's different from last season? Uh, yeah, I like I would agree. Um, and I noticed he I, initially at the West Ham game, I was like, is this sort of early mind games? And then he reiterated it on the Writers House interview he did. And but you could tell he was like being genuine. Um, and <clears> I feel like uh, I, and I think because I agree, I'm like, yeah, that's probably what I'd say if I was in his position as well. In terms of what's changed, I think there are a couple of sort of long term personnel issues that Chelsea have managed to solve over the course of two seasons. So I think they're really seeing the benefits of Neve Charles suddenly becoming really good in the way that players under Emma Hayes tend to do at some point. And on top of that, E Perise sort of getting over that, you know, first season I'm getting to know Chelsea, which again, we often see with transfers coming into the club. Um, they've also then obviously added Ashley Lawrence, which is then just an extra bit of quality in fullback areas, which is something Chelsea have really, really struggled with. Um, I think sort of, probably for the past three, maybe even four seasons. Um, and then I think bringing in Shukanuskan in midfield has equally become added sort of another body there, but she looks really good. She's able to play as the six, the eight or the 10. Um, and that just feels like, again, even though Chelsea have had some injuries in that area also early in the season, but it's meant that those injuries haven't sort of rocked the squad in a way that, for example, when Melanie Loipotz became pregnant, felt like a really hard thing for Chelsea to get over. You know, Loipotz hasn't played for the past month or so. Um, Chankovic is also unavailable, but it, it feels like Chelsea are pretty comfortable still with the options that are there. And then I think that goes in hand with Hayes sort of finessing a tactical system that we saw in parts last season but at other parts became a more traditional. So playing this sort of half-back three, half-back four, where basically the right-back basically becomes a right-sided centre-back and the left-back, who for the entirety of the season is Neve Charles, becomes like a left-wing-back. And we obviously saw in Chelsea's bigger games last season, they sort of just played that as a as a flat-back three. But this year, they basically have Johanna Rittenkanerud playing on the right, and she is effectively playing as a, a natural right winger. So out possession, it is just a flat back four, and then in possession, it sort of becomes this like more crooked type thing. And I just feel like that's something we saw Chelsea trying to do last season. They were still figuring out exactly how it works, and now it's like the pieces are there. Most of the players have been playing it for a season in some kind of format, and it feels like it's clicking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like my kind of external perception is perhaps like moving on gradually from players like Magda Eriksson, who's been such a big player and obviously was a massive part of that kind of this sliding that Chelsea do between a three and a four, where she was able to kind of, it was the other way around, wasn't it really? Mm. Like she was playing left back, but she yeah. could slide across to left centre half and 
really, really useful. I do think that's a model that Arsenal will eventually um, try to follow a little bit because Arsenal attack through their left fullback more than their right. Um, but one thing that seems to strike me about Chelsea every year, you, you spoke about Neve Charles there, who I think has been probably the story um, or the, the the biggest story for Chelsea this season. It just strikes me that every year there's one player that kind of that isn't like one of the star signings that Chelsea perhaps have had for a couple of years who all of a sudden just completely blossoms. And I think that's happened like to Erin Cuthbert, to Jess Carter um, in the past, these players that Chelsea buy. And initially you buy them and think, eh, okay, but mm, good player, but is, you know, probably just going to be a squad player. But then all of a sudden, like a role is found for them that really, really suits them. And this year, that's definitely been Neve Charles. You you talked there a little bit about how she's kind of become that left wing back, um, which kind of really suits her in Chelsea. Like, what what else has enabled her to become such a key player? Oh, I think if I had the answer to that, they could consider me for the new Chelsea manager <laughs> job because it's one of the biggest things I'm, I'm scared about with, in terms of Hayes leaving because I think that's what, she's best at that individual player development. I think what we've seen from a number of those players is that it's almost like Hayes puts them through an apprenticeship where she says, you're going to play wherever I make you play and you're going to learn about what everyone in this team needs to do. And it's interesting because I think also we're maybe seeing it a little bit with Shukaniskan as well right now. But, you know, with Erin, she played at and that apprenticeship is always at wing back because that's always mm-hmm. what Chelsea have gaps. But, you know, Erin played at wing back up for, for large portions of, of her time, like coming through the Chelsea team, even though she's always been like, I want to be a midfielder. Carter's sort of played as a full back a lot, even. And I think she can do that, but I think we're really seeing her blossom now. She's like a centre back. Mm-hmm. Um, Neve has played literally everywhere. So she's played both fullback positions, she's played left wing, she's played number nine at points for Chelsea last season when Kerr's been unavailable after we'd obviously sold Beth England. So I think it's sort of that um, experience that Hayes clearly really likes as a way to try and educate people around the system and maybe just give them this feeling of of confidence that sort of wherever they are on the pitch, they're going to be able to contribute. And then at some point she decides they're ready and goes, okay, and this is actually the position I wanted you to play all along. Um, You know, even with Erin Cuthbert, that's been really interesting. And I think that development's still sort of ongoing where she sort of arrived at Chelsea as this 10 and now she's effectively seen as a six in sort of this like all action Oberdorf-esque mode. Um, But at the same time for all of that, like that's from my outside perspective, clearly something else goes on because the technical level of a lot of these players is also something that's, that goes up. And I think for a player like Jess Carter and even Aaron Cuthbert, that feels like it kind of made sense because I think they were players that people knew, like, you know, what Jess Carter was doing at Birmingham as a 16 year old, clearly that was someone who had a lot of raw talent and anyone who has watched the Chelsea documentary will sort of know that like maybe application wasn't all there. And that was something Mm -hmm. Chelsea had to figure out. But Neve Charles is someone who, and I don't want to be offensive about her, but to me seemed like a decent winger 
who would yeah, yeah. probably do fine at a mid-table WSL side and would probably soon, you know, sort sort of score five five goals and get a couple of assists across the season. Like that that's all she kind of really looked like to me. Someone who could like run quite fast down the wing. Like at Liverpool, that's what she did really well. And when Chelsea picked her up, I was a bit like, okay. Like this is a like mm. this isn't someone who I'd pick out as being like obviously like I don't know, someone who you'd say is like the top 10 English prospects even. Um, and suddenly she, and Emma Hayes said like two years ago that she thought Charles could be as good a fullback as Lucy Bronze. And I was like, this is yeah. one of the craziest things I've ever heard Emma Hayes say. And she said a lot. Um, but like two years on, you're kind of like, huh. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's really interesting. And uh, and like what you say about like building and all of that. And I think, I think Jonas Eideval has some similar ideas. I, I asked him a question about Victoria Pullova at the end of last season and the answer just fascinated me. I, I was like, look, she's playing so well and Arsenal had so many injuries, they had to play her basically everywhere. And I kind of asked him, what what do you think long-term like about her position? And he was like, to be honest, I don't know. I'm just going to play her and see what happens. Kind of, Well, not see what happens, but see where she really ends up fitting in. And he said he did the same with Frieda Mornham. And he said, like, actually, if you'd have asked me at the point that Arsenal got her, I, I wouldn't have told you that Frieda would be a number 10 because she didn't have a big record of scoring or making goals. But then he said, I put her there and she did. So I kept putting her there. And uh, he was talking about, first of all, about young players. He was saying, like, you shouldn't make assumptions because sometimes they unlock things in that age between 21 to 24. But he also just kind of said, sometimes you've just got to buy players and you look more at their attributes than anything. And then you kind of just see where they fit in afterwards, which which is really interesting. I think I think that's such an interesting insight in some, how some managers work because I think we as fans think we need a left back or something, go and buy a left back, go and buy a right back or or something like that. And sometimes it's about where the gaps in your team are, but sometimes it's just this player has this collection of attributes and I'm just going to see where where best they fit and think about the rest later, which I think it, it made me think like think differently about the way managers actually think um, mm. when they buy players. And I, I think Chelsea have done an awful lot of that over the years. And every, every year I kind of think, who's that player going to be this year like maybe like next year Jesse Fleming will like win the Ballon d'Or or something like they'll they'll just be they'll just be she'll be the, like the breakout player like at the moment useful squad player tends to play in big games as well but like maybe like she'll just get completely unlocked um or maybe not without Emma Hayes who can who can tell um let's take a short break there and we will continue to talk about this game after this Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, we're back uh, talking about Arsenal v Chelsea at Emirates Stadium on Sunday. And Jesse, so the big question how do you think Chelsea are going to line up for this game? I think about, you know, some of the things I think I've seen when Arsenal have been successful against Chelsea, for example. I think they've had a lot of joy attacking Chelsea's right side. Um, for example, attacking the side that Lauren James had been playing on in particular. In particular, the Conti Cup final, Arsenal targeted that area very, very significantly and with quite a bit of success as well. Um, but we have seen in those games, you know, ever Perise either come on or kind of in, I think in the Conti Cup final and the game in January last year, I think she came on as a sub, like as a wing back to try and lock that side down a little bit. I mean, talking about Neve Charles and how she's playing as more of a wing back, I don't know whether Arsenal might tilt things and try oh. and turn that strength against Chelsea and try and go down their left side this time. Um, but how do you see Chelsea kind of lining up in in terms of formation and maybe some where are some of the kind of selection headaches or pinch points for you? Yeah, so I think there are sort of certain positions which feel nailed down. I think Charles and Carter sort of starting in that fence together is pro- you know they've started every game. Carter was either dropped or rested for England, depending on whose view you take, um, which I think Emma Hayes will have been very grateful about because she she played every minute of Chelsea's campaign so far. There's question marks over Millie Bright's fitness and when she'll be back. So I think it's unlikely she starts. And I'd imagine Maren Mielder starts over someone like Buchanan. Um, and then again, the sort of like Perise versus Lawrence debate that's kind of open and I wonder if well there's there's one total wild card which I do think would be interesting because I think you're right about you know Arsenal attacking that that sort of right hand side and I also think Chelsea have looked more vulnerable on that side because they're playing Canarid effectively as a winger so you've just got a big gap there a lot of the time but we've seen Ashley Lawrence come on as a winger in a number of games for Chelsea. And I do wonder if one option would be potentially to drop out Canarid and put Lawrence in if Chelsea felt like, you know, I think Chelsea have struggled at the Emirates in particular with just being totally overrun by Arsenal. Um, I think despite actually sort of both results not ending up awful for Chelsea, even though they lost one of those games, um, but, you know, th- but both performances have been really poor, I think, regardless of, of having one draw and a loss. So I think if Hayes wants to maybe try and deal with that, Lawrence would be an interesting option to have that sort of like defensive ability. But someone who Hayes clearly thinks can get forward. Um, the midfield makeup, again, is really interesting. I do think kind of them, I do wonder if Chelsea should just go sort of all kind of chihuahua press <laughs> midfield. Um, I Cuthbert, guess Arsenal. Fleming. <laughs> Cuthbert, Fleming or Nuskin. Yeah, Cuthbert, Fleming and Nuskin as a three or Cuthbert, Nuskin with maybe like someone like Kirby 
as the 10, um, just because I think Chelsea have made, and I think this is different because I think this has changed a little bit about Arsenal under Jonas as compared to under Joe, but sometimes I feel like Chelsea have tried to sort of play Arsenal their own game in terms of like this like lovely on-ball um, sort of midfield, which I just don't think Chelsea are really set up to do ever, and I don't think they're the kind of players that Hayes really goes for that much. Um, and I feel like the best games Chelsea have had against Arsenal are games where they've just really got into them, obviously, like the FA Cup final being like the best recent example of that, I think, um, and try to sort of unsettle them. And I think that's really interesting as well, given that Arsenal's midfield has been so changeable, whether as a result of injury or bringing new players in. And I guess it's hard to know exactly what that midfield will look like from Arsenal's perspective, whether I guess you go back to the Volti Little thing or whether it's like Volti and Pullover, for example, but... I think either way, from a Chelsea perspective, a lack of familiarity in terms of like reps of that midfield this season would be worthwhile getting at. Um, then I think Lauren James will be on the left uh, because she's looking really good on the left. Now I'm like, I don't know why anyone played any, her anywhere else. Uh, and I'm going to assume Sam Kerr's going to be fit, but I could be wrong on yeah. that. I, I think that's a fair assumption. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, uh, I think the midfield is, is conversation so interesting. I mean, Arsenal could go to a back three as well. That's something we discussed on last week's show, like potentially Arsenal could do that. I, I think there will be a point in this game where Arsenal play with a back three, um, wh- whether that's like later on, because uh, Arsenal do use that as an attacking move as well, not just a defensive containing move. So I, I think Arsenal will end up in a back three at some point in the game. I don't think at the start. But yeah, for me, the midfield like the midfield selection is a big game of chicken because essentially this is the first time in maybe a decade or more where you actually can't predict who Arsenal are going to start in central midfield because it's... I mean, it's been Little and Volti unquestionably for the last five years and before that, Jordan and Kim. And like Arsenal's midfield has been set for a long time. It isn't anymore. And uh, what's really interesting is Arsenal's collection of central midfielders do completely different things. So if you want the on-ball control stuff, you play Kim and Leah. But if you want the kind of energy, we're going to run at you, jump at you, you know, jump on your back uh kind of run through you you go pull over Cooney cross and that that's that that's going to be so key for Arsenal and it's going to tell you so much about how they view their approach to this game basically and there's just never been a point where that central midfield double pivot has been in any doubt for so long and suddenly it is and like you say Arsenal could mix and match there they could say why don't we play like one of Kim O'Lear and one of Victoria Plover and Kyra Cooney cross and try and have the best of both worlds. I, th- I think that to me, may- maybe it's a, an overstatement to say this where the game would be won and lost, but I definitely think it, it's key to how this game's actually going to shape up. And like, I think this is the first time Emma Hayes will have ever come to Arsenal and had to prepare for two completely different um, central midfielders. And, and also I think for Arsenal... Um, Perhaps a potential weakness is Arsenal have been playing Katie McKay, but right back. I think so. I, I think there is a use to her inverting into midfield. I think it's largely just because Jonas wants Katie McCabe on the pitch by any means necessary. And um, I mean, she has played right back against Chelsea before. 
but we saw Leicester perhaps expose the fact that when you play a very left-footed player there, um, you can have some joy. I, I wonder where do you view the potential gaps or weaknesses or pinch points in the Arsenal team? Yeah, it's definitely that right side. I think especially because that's probably where Lauren James is going to play. And I think specifically, obviously, the fact that Lauren James is going to want to take players on, like much more so actually than Guru Wrighton. I think playing, if Wrighton was available and McCabe was going to play up against her, I would be like less, or even Moritz, like whoever was going to play up against her, I'd be less confident just because I think as, as good as Guru is, it's like that's a... Um, that's a defending the space issue. Like, I think you should be able to work with presumably Amanda Ehlerstedt to defend against Charles and Wright and coming down and getting balls into the box. I think whether it's Moritz or McCabe in that against Lauren James, that's a lot trickier because you're asking, um, but, but whatever one of those players it is to sort of like step up to her and not get done by her. And I think, McCabe being on like the wrong side, as it were, might make that tougher. The only thing that will be interesting around that is my big disappointment about the Man City game and the Alex Greenwood sending off was because I thought it was like one of the most sort of interesting tactical setups like between the two teams for a long, long time because Chelsea had Lauren James on the right because Guru Wright was still fit. Obviously, in the area where City liked to invert, so they had her up against Laya Alexandre. So James was going in with Alexandre, but it was then allowing her to turn over the ball and be exactly where she wants to be in a more central area of the pitch. And it would be really interesting to see, this is another sort of maybe element of chicken that both managers have against each other. But if McCabe starts, that exact same possibility sort of could work in Chelsea's favour in terms of as long as James goes with McCabe, again, she can Chelsea can turn over the ball in the middle of the pitch and James is there to sort of realistically take a shot from the edge of the area, um, as opposed to like actually going at a fullback who maybe does just sort of like stand up against her. So maybe to that extent, you either run the percentages on whether it's more useful to like push towards having McCabe and that midfield overload, knowing that actually Chelsea's left winger is more than happy to go with her, or you just say okay, like we're just going to defend against her and, and say whatever, like, and Arsenal have done that very well in the past, right? Like that's like the Conti Cup final was just like, we're just going to put a player on Lauren James at all times and think that Chelsea won't really be able to do anything if she's not doing anything, which pretty much turned out to be true. Yeah, yeah. I I, I do think Arsenal might go with Noel just, just because of that kind of, you know, Lauren James coming in, Neve Charles on the overlap um, type thing. I just don't think it's a space that Arsenal can afford to vacate, which then from an Arsenal perspective opens up the conversation about where Kate, because Katie McCabe, like I said, Jonas just wants her in the team. And that's very understandable, I think. But then you're looking at, you know, who comes out on the left, Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, they basically play every game, which is why, you know, that again opens up the back three discussion for Arsenal because, then you can play Steph Catley as a left centre-back, Katie McCabe as a left wing-back and, you know, maybe go from there. But I think that's that's kind of... It's always, I think, the biggest kind of selection discussion for Arsenal is where does Katie McCabe play? Because Jonas wants her on the pitch, but perhaps her two best position... Like, I think she could play central midfield as well, 
but Arsenal have loads of central midfielders. So like, I do think for Arsenal, there's like a long term, we always want McCabe in the team, but like, what, where and what does that look like? And I think that will that will have kind of a, a maybe a big bearing on this game as well. Just um, from an external perspective, I guess, what have your overall impressions of Arsenal been this season? I think they've got a lot better in the past couple of weeks, but I think there is still a sense that they're not at, a level where I feel like scared by them. And I don't mean that in terms of like, I think Chelsea are definitely going to win this game, but I think there have been Arsenal teams in the past that I have felt like were more together than maybe this one is. But I actually think long term, that's probably better for Arsenal. And something I found really interesting is how sort of Chelsea coded Arsenal's start to the season has been. Like ignoring the Champions League exit because I do think that's like a slightly different separate category but losing your first game and just looking a bit like shell-shocked that the WSL had begun and you weren't really sure what you were doing not looking amazing but like slowly like getting those wins and getting like more confidence and then gradually coming together a bit more of a team influenced by the fact that the manager is sort of chopping and changing players as they figure out what their best 11 is. That For me, that's like exactly what Chelsea have done over the past couple of seasons. I think that's why I'm so surprised that Chelsea look this good right now because normally I wait until like February and then Chelsea start looking good. And the first three months of the season is just like get as many points on the board while you're not playing very well. Um, so I think there are elements of Arsenal which I still like from an Arsenal perspective, would worry about. And I think actually, even though there's been a lot of conversation about goals and attack and crossing and those kind of things, for me, it's more that defensive setup because I think the attack will come together with who's available. The defence, I think, until Williamson comes back, still feels like it's going to be a little bit unsettled. You know, talking about like not having a great option at right back, obviously, with Veen Reuter unavailable, I think Amanda Elishter is clearly like struggling a little bit with the, the level of the WSL. I don't think that's surprising, but I also understand why Arsenal needed to bring in a player like her because you can't sign some long-term option when you know Leah Williamson's going to come back. But I just think all of that is a bit like uh, question marky. And then when Williamson does come back, there's going to have to be a process of working her back into the team, which is also then going to further unsettle something further down the line. So I think that's the area of Arsenal plus the goalkeepers, which is like that would that would be the bit that worried me, even though I think the the attacking situation has got more attention. But I think the attack is like literally fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's kind of underplayed that Arsenal lost their two first-choice centre-backs um, and one of their right-backs. Like, that was always going to have an impact. And like you say, Jonas said himself, like, I can't go and sign another Leah Williamson because, like, there isn't one, <laughs> basically. Or there might be two or three players like that in the world and you can't just sign one of them for six months. So uh, I I haven't really been brave enough to say this, like, on the site or on Twitter. I've left it for Substack. But I always felt that Arsenal were more in a position next season 
um, to go and win the league because they've brought in eight new players over the last two transfer windows and they needed to do that. And a lot of that was because they didn't do the necessary business last summer. So they were playing catch up. But now I think like they've got to settle this squad down a bit, a little bit around the outside, a couple of positions. But my aspiration for Arsenal is for a couple of relatively quiet transfer windows now and really you know get some players back get this team together and like ne- I, I've always felt next season like particularly with the Emma Hayes factor as well but that's not to say I don't think Arsenal should compete this season they absolutely should I'm not saying they can't win the lit like I think they can and I think they absolutely like every season Arsenal should compete it's really as simple as that but I have always felt that with the level of turnover and losing a player like Leah Williamson, I kind of my aspiration this year was to compete, win a trophy, but like next year, I basically I think short term Arsenal, like I think the long term picture is good for Arsenal. That's that's basically where I am, and also like having the manager on a contract, um, whether people agree with that decision or not. Man City and Man United both have their managers till the end of this season and it seems very unlikely they'll both be there. So I do think next season Arsenal will be in a position of strength relative to their competitors. But that that's just my view. Just, I guess, finally, how do you see the title race overall? Because obviously we're, this is very Arsenal-Chelsea-centric because that's the game we're looking at. But how do you kind of rate Man City and, and Man United as part of this title picture? Yeah, I think... I think Man City have looked a lot better this season than they have in past. And I think they've been unlucky with some of the results they've got. I mean, there are decisions with that Man City team that I think are like, I'm personally not like a big Kiara Keating fan. Like I, I think whatever's going on there is as talented as she might be in in the future a little bit. Uh, Gareth Taylor cutting off his nose to spite his face. And I think the Arsenal game kind of showed that as much as like there she's made other good saves. I'm like, that was a game that I think City should have probably at least taken a point from and mm. their goalkeeping errors stopped them from doing that. And if she was a 26-year-old goalkeeper, we would say that. But it feels like because she's 19, we don't. Um, but I think beyond that, like I think it would be silly to write City out of the title race, which I feel like some people do because Gareth Taylor is sort of so badly thought of which I also think is a little bit harsh I think his city team have improved a lot in the time that he's been there and I think there are still question marks about his management style and his versatility in terms of moving away from how he likes to play but I think that's actually brought his team a lot of familiarity they've got a really talented bunch of players who if they stay fit they also don't have Champions League football I think things could just change very quickly. Like, look, if Chelsea lose this weekend, it's like there's three points between that like top three. United, I'm probably like a lot more down on, but I don't really think that has to be like, I know for United fans, that's like, ah, because they kind of have that tendency anyway. But I think the reality is they overperformed last season and then they had then lost their two best players. And they also, because they seem to, I don't really understand how they run at all, seem to only think about replacing these players on the final day of the transfer window. So, like, I I wouldn't say, like, I love Skinner as a manager, but again, I think it's very hard to put 
everything that United are going through right now at Skinner's door, just in terms of the number of players he got in right at the end of the season when everyone knew Onabatia and Alessia Russo was, was leaving. Everyone knew in January, like apart from Manchester United seemingly. So I think that failure for me to replace those players in, not even in a quality way, because it's, it, you know, it's hard to sort of sign at that level. And I I think, you know, in they've signed interestingly, if not like in an elite way, but they, I think, realistically still are the fourth best team in England. So I think, you know, to go and get someone who was basically Barcelona's starting striker last season is not a bad deal to do, but it just feels like all, like so much of stuff happened really late on that it feels tough to just blame Skinner for it not all pulling together. But I don't think it's going to pull together, like, together this season I think it will need longer and it'll be interesting to see if he's given more time yeah yeah definitely I I kind of agree I found their season really annoying last year (laughs) just you know obviously I view it very tribally I I think they just got so lucky with injury which not say they weren't a good team or anything like that like they were and to be fair I really expected them to crumble in those last kind I was like it's all going to catch up with them and and it kind of didn't like they did push Chelsea to the end and they didn't do what I thought they were going to do. But yeah, I, I I broadly agree with that. I actually had City to be the bigger challenger to Chelsea before the season just because they didn't have that Champions League thing. They, they actually had a settled squad for the first time in a while. And, and I really thought Jill Rod would suit them. Um, I think she largely has as well. But um, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's really interesting. I'm just so frustrated about last year because... I felt like Chelsea were potentially vulnerable if Arsenal didn't have the great ACL curse of 2022-23. Like I, I feel like last season, because Chelsea had their own injury pro- problems and some of these things we've discussed, I think Chelsea were working through last year. And I, and I, I kind of felt like, Vulnerable is too strong a word for it, but I felt like last season would have been a really good season for for Arsenal to be in a position to challenge, and they just weren't due to, I think, a couple of poor transfer windows and injuries, um, whereas I, I do think Chelsea look like they've worked through some of those issues this year. But um, we'll see. It's all in the post. Jesse, I've kept you far longer than I said I would, uh, but that was a really interesting conversation about the game and, and it felt a little bit like therapy um, for me <laughs> and to finally acknowledge that this game is a thing that is going to happen whether I like it or not. So uh, perhaps when the teams meet again later in the season, we'll have you back on the show. But until then, thanks so much. Okay, and we will be back with another episode of the Arsenal Women Arsecast. Um, Probably, or certainly during the kind of winter break, we'll put together a podcast for you. Do believe Arsenal are going to drop some hashtag content during the seasonal period, which I think a lot of our listeners will be interested in. Um, And we'll we'll have some kind of meta content about that uh, one way or another. But until then, thanks very much. And uh, we will speak to you again next time. 